Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to be back. A little traveling this week. Good to be back. It was, I don't know, two days or three days ago, I went jogging outside, 65 degrees in Kentucky. That was really nice. And then I saw you guys had eight inches of snow the same day. So, or we had eight inches of snow the same day. <laughs> anyway, uh, as Nicole read, um, there's a comment right there at the beginning of the passage that says, um, after he wrote down, after Moses wrote down all the words of this law. And so we're coming to the end of Deuteronomy. We're coming to the end of our series on the Pentateuch. And you know, to this point, we have really emphasized the, ten- the Pentateuch's message of grace and love. You know, and we started out the series by recognizing that you know, perspectives of the Old Testament tend to see uh, the God of the Old Testament as, as more judgmental, more vindictive, and then he like, changed personalities or something when, when, when Christ came to earth and died and resurrected. And so uh, the God of the New Testament is the God of grace and love. And so we really wanted to show, as, as is many of the apostles do in, in the New Testament writings, that uh, God has not changed. The program of salvation has not changed. Uh, belief in the grace and love of God has always been the means of salvation, and that was really established in the Pentateuch, in, in the law of Moses. Um, so that has been our emphasis. Uh, that is the intent of the book of, of the Pentateuch and all five books of the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and, and Deuteronomy. Um, however, we cannot retreat or ignore the passages in the Pentateuch that um, discuss and teach and uphold the judgment of God. And so, you know, there's a reason why people feel like um, the God of the Old Testament may be harsh and judgmental and, and punitive. It's because there are a lot of passages in the Old Testament, and there are passages in the Pentateuch that speak of um, severe judgment. And judgment is different than discipline. We had a, a message a few weeks ago, maybe a couple months ago, on the discipline of God. And it was, it was, it was God explaining to Israel that he had allowed them to experience hardships so that it would greater test them and develop perseverance and character and faithfulness uh, towards God in that. So discipline is one thing. Judgment is another, and that's the theme we're going to look at today, um, because it it's it's a prominent theme, and it's one that Moses concludes on, um, and so the the, um, the 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 we've discussed, you know, what it means to enjoy the deliverance and the blessing and the salvation of God in this life. Um, and that by following God and, and not forgetting God and remembering his word and keeping his commandments brings happiness and prosperity and deliverance. That's been our big theme. And so we're also going to see, though, that, that, the, that the salvation and the deliverance that, that God uh, brings is not just for us to experience in this world, um, but it's also something that is experienced in the afterlife. And so that's been a huge emphasis of, of evangelical Christianity um, in, in that its focus has, I think, a, a lot of at times historically has been on the emphasis on the afterlife and not enough emphasis on present life. Um, 
we like to spend a lot of time on the present life because it's, it's real. God brings reality um, to, to bear with his word and that there is wisdom in this word and that there is salvation in this word for our everyday lives. But today we're going to look at the judgment of God primarily in regard to the afterlife. And so there are five different aspects or elements of judgment that these passages and a couple others that I'm going to refer to today. And Snow, it's not like a complete, um, it's not a complete theology of the judge of judgment just out of the Pentateuch. We've got to we've got to address these um, this theme, this theme of judgment um, from the New Testament as well, because the, the Pentateuch just doesn't give us all of the information that the Bible holds, and that is really critical on this, on, on this theme. So we're going to look at the standard of God's judgment. By what means does he judge and evaluate those whom he judges? Uh, how does God judge the means of God's judgment? Um, who is God to judge in the first place? Who is judged? And then how do we anticipate or look forward to judgment. So the standard of God's judgment, the means of God's judgment, who is God to judge, who is judged, and anticipating judgment. So the first one, standard of God's judgment. So the title of this sermon um, was is the word of God as a witness. And so this is really what this theme of judgment comes out of, is this idea that that the word of God, that the law, so Moses says, this law will be a witness against you. So we've seen the various purposes of the law. It's the story of God's love. It's the, it's the setting of the conditions that God had for the people of Israel and for all humanity, really, to enjoy happiness and prosperity. Um, it's the story of humanity's rebellion against God and Israel's rebellion and betrayal of God. But it also establishes our guilt. It, it also establishes our guilt. It is a witness against us. So courtroom imagery um, is somewhat prominent throughout the scriptures when we're talking about the theme of judgment. And so the law, Moses says, the law will be a witness against you. All right, uh, It's going to be a witness against you in several ways. God uh, uh, demonstrated his his love and his blessing we rebelled and so it's the story of God's grace and love it's the story of our rebellion it's and it has the content by which we are going to be evaluated by um, Paul says the same thing in Romans chapter 3 he says whatever the law says it speaks to those who are under the law and so we know that the law the five books of Moses is not just the narrower legal code for the nation of Israel. The law is the five books, and it deals with all of humanity, not just the nation of Israel. So whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. So all human beings are under the law. And Paul says then, every mouth, so that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be accountable to God. So the law establishes the standard by which we are judged and silences us all. Because none of us can stand before the law as a witness against us and have a defense. I mean, if we just take the Ten Commandments, so the Ten Commandments, you shall put no other gods before me, you shall not make an image of me, you shall not um, 
speak the name of the Lord your God in vain. You shall keep the Sabbath. You shall honor your father and mother. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not bear false witness, and you shall not covet. So those are the ten things. And I think if we were honest with ourselves, I think every single person and every single human being, I mean, anytime I've talked with uh, an unbeliever, someone that does not acknowledge the God of the Bible or Jesus Christ, um, if a discussion around the law or their lack of perfection comes up, I've never, I've never had somebody say that they were perfect. If we just evaluate ourselves according to those Ten Commandments, none of us would be able to say, I've been perfect in all of those. Who has honored their mother and father perfectly? Who has never coveted anything? Who has never told a lie about somebody else for your own benefit? So we would all stand guilty. And, you know, if we have, we have the story of Israel, and so Israel has this story of, of the law being given, um, but then they, they disbelieve God, and then they break the law, and they re-ratify the covenant. So it's just like this pattern. So we can see in the, in the Pentateuch that God forgives, and his people say, we'll do better next time. And we see ourselves in that same light. We recognize that we sin, and we also say, we'll do better next time. I mean, I, I sinned against my family this week, and and... I'll do better next time, or I hope to do better next time. So that's, that's our story there, too. So Israel has a story, or the Pentateuch has a story about Israel. That is really our story as well. We, we can't hold up and stand up against the law, and, and we can't refute this, uh, this repeated story that we have of failing, wanting to do better, and then failing again. So it's a witness against us. The law is a witness against us. The means of judgment. So the, the passage that, that Nicole read this morning, uh, it's, it's it, the second one, um, it's very strong. It speaks of God sharpening his flashing sword uh, and, and proclaiming that his arrows that he is going to use to inflict judgment on people are going to be drunk with blood. It's the image of, of an avenging warrior. He will have his blood. And so in ancient times throughout the, the Old Testament, we see God using other nations to judge sinful nations, wicked nations. And so it was very, it, this is an imagery about God being a warrior, but historically in these times, God would use nations to destroy nations <clears throat> and to judge nations. But we have similar imagery, excuse me, we have similar imagery in the New Testament. So 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction 
away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. And then in Revelation chapter 19, obviously, which is full of language about God's vengeance and a lot of bloodshed, it says this of Jesus Christ, from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. And so the image that we get of what is the judgment of God, not the discipline of God, what is the judgment of God? When the, when the court order comes down declaring our guilt, what is the punishment? And clearly, it's death. It's, it's God um, killing the people that he is taking vengeance out upon. He says, the text says, I kill and I make alive. So in terms of how the New Testament describes this, there is the first death and then there is the second death. So the first death, the first death that we experience as human beings. Now, for Christians, I think Paul is very... In a lot of texts, he speaks of death, but for Christians, he says that we are asleep. And so, because it's not a, it's not a death as those who don't know God experience death. So this first death is judgment for our sin. The wages of sin is death. And so we don't see or we don't necessarily think of death as being a judgment of God, but it is. The, 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 the death that we see and experience as human beings, we need to recognize that it is a judgment of God as a consequence for our sins. And then there is a, a second death that the Bible refers to, and that is a judgment concerning, concerning our eternal state. So the first death is a judgment from God for our sin. The second death is judgment from God that's eternal in nature, and as the Second Thessalonian passage says, is a, is a punishment of eternal destruction. Now, we'll have a lot of Q&A time here this morning. And so what does that mean, eternal destruction? So that may come up. But that is the second death. And so we see that, that um, the law will be a witness against us as we stand in a courtroom. And the consequence or the penalty, the judgment that will come upon people is the second death and first death, dying and then dying eternally, and eternal punishment and eternal destruction. And so it's, it seems, you know, you read these passages, I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. There is none that can deliver out of my hand. We can say that God is being harsh. We can say that God is unfair. We can say that doesn't that, that doesn't that seem to be extreme? God seems like he's a bloodthirsty. I mean, we have all these kinds of ideas or oppositions that come up against God being a God of love. Well, he is a God of love, but he's also a God of justice. And we cry out for justice, and we, we, we pick a, a certain subject or topic or theme that's present in our, in our contemporary culture 
culture, and we, we want to put ourselves on the side of the righteous, and we want to declare those who are evil who are not on the, quote, right side of history. What we fail to recognize is, again, if we put ourselves up against the whole law, who can stand? Who can stand? We can't select these issues that we want to be right in and neglect the, all of the concerns of the law that we are wrong in. None of us can stand, and God is a God of justice as well as a God of love. In fact, the, the love and the grace is not possible without there being justice and judgment. If there's nothing to save us as human beings from, where is the need for grace? Where is the need for mercy? Where is the need for Jesus Christ's death on the cross if there is no judgment? It minimizes the, the, the significance of our sin and how we offend God and how we hurt and offend others. That God says all of these things, they are worthy of death. So it minimizes what evil is and the evil that we commit against each other. And it makes light of uh, the sacrifice that, that Jesus willfully um, engaged in, the sacrifice that he made, the giving, up on his, the giving up of his life. Universalism, which is one of the interpretations of judgment, that, that nobody ever really experiences judgment. God loves everybody when Christ died. He died for the sins of the world, and everybody has automatically entered into Christ's death. And so there really is going to be no judgment. That's universalism, Christian universalism. Um, it's, it's not biblical. It's not biblical. And God is fully able to do this because, as he says, and it seems like maybe that this isn't a super great argument, but he's God. He is the creator of all things in heaven and on earth. We think of ourselves as being our own property, we're not our own property. We didn't create ourselves. God is God. He created us. We are his possession. And as Paul says in Romans chapter 9 or 10, I can't remember which, who are we as the pots to tell the potter what to do? We, we can't stand in a place of judgment of God because he is God. And as the text says, there is no God besides me. There's not an alternative God. I will execute judgment, he says, and no one, no one will be able to deliver you out of my hand. And so there's, a, there's an orientation towards God that we have to develop and make it consistent with what the scriptures tell us about God. Yes, he is a God of love, he is a God of grace, but he is also a God of judgment, and his grace and love demand it because there is a need for justice. Who are judged? Who are judged? So the texts of both Deuteronomy and Thessalonians um, are pretty clear in who receives the judgment. Adversaries of God, those who are intentionally opposed to God, those who hate God, so those who, and it doesn't say that these are, these are people that are unbelievers. These are people that know that God exists, that are aware of his commands and rebel against him regardless. They're not unbelievers. 
They know that God exists and they hate him for what his requirements are. They hate him for the authority that he has in their lives. They want to throw off Psalm chapter 2. Look at the nations. They, they want to throw off the shackles. They want to throw off the authority that God has over the nations. That's what humanity does. It wants to reject the authority that God has as creator. And so these people are opposed. These nations are opposed. And it says that those who also who will experience judgment are those that don't know God. And so the idea behind knowing God here in this, in this idea is that there are, there are, to, to know God is to acknowledge his existence and to hold him in high regard. That's what it means to know God. If you know God, you know his character, his nature, his virtues, his authority, his power. You acknowledge his existence. You hold it in high regard. To know God is to worship God. And so those who do not worship God are also judged. And lastly, those, this is out of Thessalonians, those that do not obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. What is it? To obey the gospel of Jesus Christ is to believe that God is just as creator. To judge humanity. To judge humanity. And that God has provided a means of salvation through Jesus Christ by entrusting ourselves to Jesus Christ. We're going to talk a little bit about what that means here in a moment. To trust Jesus Christ for your deliverance is to obey the gospel. So judgment is really for those who are opposed to God, those who don't worship God, and those who never take the message of salvation for themselves. Death awaits the, the first death where we die, not knowing what our eternal outcome is going to be, and the second death, this, the punishment of eternal destruction. Lastly, anticipating judgment. So, there are two possibilities as we sit here as human beings, as we live on this planet as human beings, created by God, possessed by God, but we have two possibilities. We, we can anticipate the second death. Death leading to a second death. A death not knowing what our outcome is going to be and a second death which is the punishment of eternal destruction. So that's one possibility. The other possibility is what the texts call a relief. A relief. Can we look forward to judgment because of the relief that it will bring us. That's a word that Paul uses in 2 Thessalonians. You know, one of the you know, several repeated prayers that we see throughout the New Testament is that, is that God would, would grow our love for each other and, that our, and grow our love for the people of the world so that our hearts would be blameless as we anticipate the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do we anticipate the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ because we're going to be able to stand before him with confidence, having no shame, no fear? That's a vision that we see out of the Apostle John's uh, letters. Can we stand before God with no shame and no fear and stand boldly? Blameless, as our hearts feeling blameless. The experience of relief 
at Jesus Christ's coming, not the experience of fear or shame or guilt or condemnation. And so in the, in the anticipation of death that leads to a second death for those that who do not know God, we call to mind again this courtroom. If the law is a witness against us, so the law is the witness. You know, if you're familiar with the courtroom, and um, most of you I, I trust, if the statistics are correct, um, not all of you, not me, if you're in a courtroom, and if you're under the law, and the law is being a witness against you in a courtroom, um, there's also the prosecutor, the accuser. So I, I'm sure that I've told this. I, I know that I've told this story in church before, but you know, I was uh, um, indicted for a gross misdemeanor of selling alcohol to a minor. Long story, back in 2008. And I, so I had to have a hair. I had to go to a hearing. <laughs> it wasn't just a fine that I could write off. Um, you're sitting in that courtroom, and the weight of the law is immense. And I felt it. I, I wasn't in there to de declare my innocence. I wasn't trying to get away. I told the police officer that arrested me that I, that I did. I didn't know that I did it at the time. It was a... Anyway... I think most of you know the story. But I went into that courtroom and just the weight. So it's gross misdemeanor. So it's serious cases. It's, it's drug offenses. It's DWIs. It's, it's not felonies. Um, it was just weighty. I just I watched these people going before the judge, and you can feel the weight of the law against them. A couple years ago, I went to the the pardon hearings that the, the governor and the attorney general and the, the chief justice of the Supreme Court of Minnesota hold every year, um, Seth was up for a pardon. And there were maybe a dozen people. And these are people that have committed serious felonies. And you can't apply for a pardon until after like 10 years from when you were uh, indicted uh, and um, uh, convicted of, of, the, of the crime. And oftentimes, it's multiple felonies. And there were a few people that the, that the uh, I guess it's a tribunal, the, the governor and the attorney general and the chief justice, they have to all decide, and it has to be unanimous. A few of them were pardoned, but there were a few that did not get pardoned. And their, their entire lives were being held in the balance of this decision. And I wept. I didn't know these people from anybody, but just the, the human toll of crime and sin was just so weighty. And you, every single one of the persons that went up there, I had compassion on them. They, could, they had communicated that they were, had regretted their crimes. The devil, the Bible says, is our accuser. So the law is the witness, and it is a heavy witness. You can't say anything to this witness. There's only one witness. And then you have the accuser, the accuser of the brethren. The Bible teaches, it describes him. There is no defense. 
There is no defense for those who do not know God. There is no defense for those who hate God. There is no defense for those who don't, don't obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's no defense. And their judgment will be the punishment of eternal destruction. Now, that's one, so that's one way to anticipate judgment. The other way to anticipate judgment is relief. Is relief. This has been a, it, it's a, this week has been a challenging week. Yesterday was a challenging day. This morning I just went down to pray and I didn't have any requests. I just, I just wanted to experience the presence of God. And I just asked, was asking God to, to bless me with a sense of his presence. And I felt like the Spirit brought to mind this passage for this morning. This word relief is what came to my mind. And I just felt like, that's what I need. I just need some relief. I just need, that's what God promises. And we're never going to experience it fully on this earth. Jesus says that. If you are a follower of God, anticipate suffering, anticipate hardship, and as Thessalonians, anticipate affliction, not just general affliction, but affliction from people who oppose God. And then it says, God is just to afflict those who afflict you. It is God who will avenge. And that is to be of relief to us. Not just relief from affliction, but just relief from Sin, relief from the trials and pains and sufferings of this world. Relief is what God promises when judgment comes for those who know him. The law will still be a witness against us. But contrary to the person that doesn't know God, that hates God, that is opposed to God, that has not believed in the gospel, for those who have believed in the gospel, we, we have an advocate it's a legal term. It's a biblical term. Jesus is our advocate. He comes before the court, and he hears the, the testimony of the law. He hears the testimony of the witness, and he says, yep, that's true. We've committed, that person has committed those crimes, those felonies. That person has broken the law. But here's what Jesus the advocate does. He says, they're guilty of the crime, but I will take the penalty. I will take the punishment. I mean, if, just, you know, if you're, if you're if you, again, if you've ever been in a courtroom observing or <laughs> under trial, it, I can imagine what the response would have been for those, for those people and their families, because a lot of them had their families there, friends. If they were to, if they were to, to, to hear, no, you are not going to be pardoned, and then to have somebody come up and say, I will take that for them, It'd be life-changing for them, just for the life here on earth. But Jesus has come up and he says, I will stand and take the, the judgment. I will take the judgment. Not only enabling us to enjoy prosperity and happiness in the presence of God in this age, but an eternity of life, an eternity of life, an eternity not of divine eternal punishment, but an eternity of freedom and an eternity of relief. 
That's what Jesus has done. The text, Colossians chapter 2, says this, that Jesus has canceled the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. The legal demands were there, and they are valid, and they don't get swept away. Jesus takes them. Jesus takes them. So, and then, if, and then it says at the end of that passage, he disarmed the accuser. He disarmed the devil. He took away the, any power that he had, the power through the law. Sin's power is the law. He takes away the power, and it says that it shames him because he is left, literally the, the text has this idea of a, of a victorious ruler and king that has conquered and he has stripped naked the ones he has defeated and he is walking them through main street in shame that's what jesus has done to the accuser that's what jesus has done to the devil he has taken away all of his power he has taken away all of his might he has stripped him naked he is the strong arm in jesus's parable the strong man, excuse me. The strong man goes in, breaks down the power of the usurper, cleans out the house, and kicks him out. So God wants us, this humanity, to anticipate with hope the possibility of relief at the coming judgment. It, it is coming. Relief is coming. Justice will finally be meted out against the adversaries, the opposers, the disbelievers of God, and relief will finally come. And this is as much as a message of the New Testament as it is of the Pentateuch. It's a consistent theme throughout the Bible. God is a God of love. God is a God of grace. God is passionately, without reserve, seeking us out. But if we ignore it and ignore him we will have the punishment of eternal destruction. Let me pray. God, these are, these are heavy words, and um, necessarily so. And God, I, I pray that um, all of us would recognize, even sitting here, God, knowing you, that we would recognize and deepen in the grace that you have showed us because of the judgment that you have saved us from. And Father, I pray that this would be a motivation uh, to us to, to more deeply know and follow you and to be a witness to your word. And Father, for those who, who may be here today that, that don't know you, uh, God, our prayer is that they would come to a place of acknowledging you and worshiping you, that they could experience your life, not just for this life here in the present, but God, for eternity. In Jesus' name.